Ladies and gentlemen, we're shoveling. This is the growing season on News Talk. It's on 960 AM. I'm Matt McFarlane. And please be joined by the matriarch and patriarch of the growing season, Jack and Lynn. Mom and dad join me. Guys, how are you this week? Not too bad, Matthew. No, not too bad at all. Yes, uh, this was a uh, wonderful weather, wasn't it? Earlier in the week, we had 20 degrees going on. This is nuts. So I wonder how long it's going to stay, Matt. Yeah, well, they're saying that eventually we are going to get down into some regular season temperatures here. It's hard to uh, think about Christmas shopping when it feels like September. Yeah, yeah, it's true. And yet Halloween felt weird this year. Usually after Halloween, everything kicks in for Christmas. Well, with Halloween being kind of strange because of COVID. Do you want to know something really strange, Matthew? This has nothing to do with... uh, Mom and I were out cleaning out the garden, and, and one of our delphiniums was still blooming, even after all the snow. This is a record, by the way, that I have now had to put a delphinium in Showbits in the intro of the show. <laughs> Thank you very much, by the way, Mr. John McFarland, for that. My pleasure. Yes, yes, always. This week's show we're going to do is uh, Horticultural Avoidances 2. We did Horticultural Avoidances 1 last year. Many of our audience uh, have tuned into that show repeatedly over and over again to make sure that what they are implementing into their garden design, etc., doesn't fall into any of these avoidances. We're going to be chatting about tree stakes. We're going to be chatting about rock salt. We're going to be chatting about what else, guys? Berms. Berms. Ooh, also, berms. another one, Matt, we're going to be talking about things that you shouldn't plant near water features, swimming pools. Yeah. So lots yeah. of good stuff. Yeah, lots of stuff. Stuff to listen to now and then maybe circle back in the spring. She's Lynn. He's Jack. I'm Matt. This is the growing season on News Talks, like a 960 AM. And we got your horticultural avoidances on lock. Stay with us. We're back. The growing season on News Talks, like a 960 AM. Off air, my dad was opining out loud as to, or his thoughts on why the heck he has a Delph, a Delphinium, blooming at this time of the year. Now, we recently had a, a pretty decent snow, and that snow didn't wipe out your Delph? No, actually, Matthew, I brought it in and I put it in a pot and it's still doing fine in, indoors. What so is it? Is this a, is it a guardian? What is it? A, what, like, like, what is it? I'm not sure what, what variety it is, but it could be. Is it blue? Is it a blue, but it, it could be blue. I'm not sure about the variety, Matthew. Huh. Okay. Yeah, it's, it's strange. And again, this whole year has been weird in that we had a, a pretty decent snowfall on May 11th that created frost cracking and such for all kinds of trees. And now you got delphiniums blooming in November. Yeah, in November the second <laughs> was it November the second that we got our first snow? Like yeah, it wasn't a huge re- amount of snow, but yeah. I mean they had to bring the plows out. It was super confused, it was pretty, man. Yeah, well, well man, it's I brought. You know what, man? I brought it in. They it's still doing just fine. So yeah. I don't understand why it's alive, but uh, I'm I'm very happy. It's a survivor. It's a sur- well. Thank God we need some of those. In 2020, right? Sure, absolutely. Do you know what? The other night, your mom and I were out for a walk around the neighborhood. As you are wont. We to always do. do a late walk around between yeah, 12 like and 1 in the night. morning. So it's I'm sorry, ir- between what? 12 and 1 in the morning. You need to hang around with your grandkids more because you'd be going to bed way before that. Thank you very much. <laughs> 12 and 1. <laughs> yeah, it's quite common, Matthew. Do you guys have bear spray or anything? You guys have no, any no, we're like fine. Grappling we're fine. equipment or shotgun? Nothing. None of that. All right. But anyway. Mind you... You saw a really big paw print on the trail, and you said to me you thought it might be bear. Large dog. I think. I'm wow. hoping it was well, a large dog. Like Rottweiler and such. They're, they're big. Mm-hmm. They got Even big German paws. Shepherds. Well, I don't know. This thing was as big as the palm of my hand, so it's pretty big. Matthew, you've seen grizzly paw prints, haven't you? Yep. Absolutely. Down by the Fraser River, north, like north yep. of Quinell? Yep. They're Absolutely. pretty big, eh? For this our, wouldn't be a grizzly, of course. For our bear. audience, my, my mom's parents live in a place called Quinell, B.C. How many hours north of Vancouver, Mom? Eight? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, at least eight. It's a pulp and paper town, or at least it used to be pulp and no, paper town. No, it still is. West still Fraser is. is still a big deal. And at, So we were out there off and on over the course of the last, let's say, 30-odd years. And they had a like a hunting a hunting store in the in the middle of the town. And there was a grizzly in there that was stuffed. It was it was standing up tall, eleven foot over eleven foot yeah. tall. Yeah, over eleven foot. Yeah, it tried to come into the town. Uh, actually, it tried to cross. There's two rivers in Quinell, the Quinell River, which comes that goes into the Fraser. And this bear tried to cross the Quinell River to come into downtown Quinell. Just it needed to do some shopping as eh? a monster. 
It's not that big, really. There's a lot bigger than that out there. My son is really into sharks, okay? And he's really into great whites, your grandson. And they found a great white, a female, and I forget where. I think it was probably Australia, 17 and a half feet long. Yeah, they can get big. That's a big fish. That's a big hunk of fish, yeah. <laughs> With teeth. Anyway, sorry. Sure. So on anyways, Matt, when we were out on our walk and we happened to notice that the leaves on the one side of the tree next to a light standard oh. were completely there. Phytochromes. You got it. Yeah. And on the opposite side, we noticed that the leaves were all gone. Yeah. So what's happening, Matthew, is this tree is not aware. There was more than just one tree, so I can take some photos for your, for your okay. website, okay? Please. But... Anyways, Matt, these trees are not shutting down for the winter, and that's what's like your delphinium, cool. like my delphinium. Do you need lights in your in your flower beds? No, no. But this delphinium's on the opposite side in the dark, so there's no excuse there for it. <laughs> so there's no excuse. Go to sleep. Go to sleep. It's a nighthawk delphinium. <laughs> but Matt, you, you just mentioned phytochromes, yeah. which is uh, what is that red, far red light kind of okay, thing? So whole light. Okay, whoa, 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 whoa. Okay, because we got listeners that are be like, wait a minute, what, what are these clowns talking about? That hit them with the Saturday morning, I'm having my coffee version of the phytochrome tink. All right. Plants like basically red and blue light. They prefer red and blue light. And so what happens is they do not like yellow or blue light, that kind of idea. Green. Green. Sorry. Yellow and green light. She corrected me. I know. Sorry. It's okay. Sorry. But Matt, that's basically what it is about the light. But then the, the cryptochromes, which again is another big word. Yeah. But that's basically just dealing with the Carcadian cycle, okay? Day-night. Jeez, this is just... Just patience. Nesting, nesting science here on a Saturday morning for these poor people. Look, if the plant is too close to the streetlight, particularly if it's a newer streetlight, which are equipped with LED lights, these lights are so strong, it's actually, it's creating an environment where the plant thinks that it's daytime. The only thing is, it's not as intense as sunlight, okay? But it's, but it's way pretty more damn intense. intense. Than dark. Yes, it is. Yeah. And then, of course, then you you hit a word like photoperiodism, which is basically length of day. So the thing is, Matthew, this this tree or these trees on our street do not realize that it is nighttime because the bloody lights are on all the time. Okay, yes. mom. For the plants, imagine how you would sleep if you were in your bedroom and the light was on all night. It's the same thing for these plants. Is this what we have to look forward to now that Donald Trump is uh, elected? I don't know. Sorry, sorry. <laughs> not, not elected. Not elected. Yeah. elected. Yeah. Now that now that everything's going to calm down, I got to sit and listen to you two idiots talk about. But you know what? <laughs> about, like the effect of streetlights on trees. But you know what, Matt? Even the stomatas aren't closing. Okay, so that means the pores of say in the leaves or in, in the trunk and branches and so forth aren't closing as well. So it can cause things like. Oh, let me think here for a minute. Uh, frost damage. Yeah, it can it can actually mar the appearance and even cause death on the mar tree. Mar the appearance. Mar the oh, appearance his, his of appearance the tree was itself. Marred. You must have. <laughs> <laughs> but Matt, you must have noticed a difference. You you put up photos on our pre- yeah. one of our previous shows, yeah. and you saw the difference Absolutely. of growth on the it's one the side tree. of the tree. And there's, I posted one, I posted one, where I believe it was somewhere in California. And they have these insane LED lights and the size of the tree or there was a portion of the tree that was growing differently. It was insane. The effect of the light on the tree. You're right, Matt. But in the end, again, I use I got to be careful with that. It's becoming a crutch word. It is. Uh, The tree must shut down for winter. Simple as that. And if it doesn't shut down for winter, it's going to suffer next year. So that's all you got to really remember. Yes. These lights are messing around with its going going to bed for the wintertime. Even your evergreens do a little bit of a shutdown. Sure. Right? Just, just, mm-hmm. just because they hold on to their needles over the winter doesn't mean that they're not taking sleepy time. And they're also creating oxygen in the wintertime. There's a cool thing, right? But not Absolutely. as much as they would Not the, during the summertime, the summer, no. Summer. Yeah. Anyways, can we move off? Yes. Okay. Well, actually, we're on the topic of trees. Okay. This is fantastic. Ladies and gentlemen, when you go to have a, a landscaper or a, a horticulturalist plant a tree of caliper size, and this is something that we have mentioned over and over and over again over the course of the growing season, but it bears repeating. Caliper just refers to the diameter of the trunk, one in one inch, one foot up from the root flare. The root flare is the part of the tree that begins, it, it's the trunk, and it begins to expand out and turn into your root system. The... Trees are generally measured in caliper. So 
The majority of large trees that you would be having installed on your property as part of a landscape project would be 45 mil, 60 mil. Generally 60 mil for the time, Matthew. Yeah, 75 mil even if you Then you're getting the real bucks. stuff, right? So obviously the larger the caliper of the tree, the bigger the root ball, the bigger the tree, okay? Let's say you were to put in a 60 mil tree which is a fairly average size of a tree. Dad, pick a tree for me. Like, what's going in the ground? Acer rubrum. Right. Let's put up the... We always pick red maple, and thank you for the Latin Do you know why, Matthew? Yeah. It's, it's damn fine. I love it. It's Everything great. about it. One of the nice parts about Acer rubrum is Acer rubrum is a bit of a... a it's a quicker-growing maple. Of your hardwoods, this would be one of the quicker growers. Okay, oaks, they almost grow in reverse. Yeah, they're slow. They're really slow. Okay, now... The maples, especially the reds, for some reason, and even the new cultivars, they grow even quicker. They tend to, they're an assertive grower. I wouldn't say invasive, but they are an assertive grower. If you want a a tree that is going to get busy, if you give it the right climate and the right conditions, these things tend to grow fairly quick. Okay. Let's say you're going to get your 60 mil Acer rubrum again. Thank you for the Latin alert into the ground here. When it's all said and done, you should have you should have a checklist of things that should have happened with your tree. Again, I am biased, but I would suggest if you are having or you're making the investment on a tree of this size, which is roughly 500 bucks to purchase the tree and you haven't even had it installed yet, you might want to have the services of a landscaper or a horticulturist do this for you. To install, Matthew, would be in the neighborhood of 800 to 1,000 bucks. Yeah, depending. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Right. So... Here's your checklist for what should have happened with your tree. Number one, there the tree should be, I don't know, roughly one to two inches sticking out of the ground. Otherwise, because slightly most, higher, slightly higher, because just simply for drainage, most trees don't want to be sitting in in water. That tree should have been planted on the subgrade, no gravel or anything below it. Excellent. Okay, there should be a minimum of two four inch. You can even go six inch perforated weeping tiles, weeping tubes the black corrugated pipe on either side of the tree. You can even go three of them. These are feeding tubes. This allows you to fertilize a tree as well as to stick the garden holes right down into the tube and literally water the root system. Yes, Dad? Yes, and what's the most crucial thing that you should be doing to that tree going into the winter? Staking it. Right. It should be staked. Now, on a tree of a 60 mil size... I would probably recommend three stakes. So if it was wooden, I would go with the three stakes, two by two stakes. Yep. And if it was a T-bar stakes, you could probably get away with, with two, two of those, Matthew. Yeah. And it also depends, too, on the the level of wind in the area. Like if you know that this area is, that is, not, is not predisposed to having insane windy conditions, like my little Fagus sylvatica, the, the, the obelisk, I just bombed myself again here. I only put one stake on it. And I put the stake in the back, but the area is not windy. And so now my neighbors are not being forced to see the stake on this thing, right? It's in the back. It's not a very windy location. Sure. And Matt, the, the stakes, when you would be putting them in, don't buy a six foot stake and then pound the living tar out of them and put them into the ground. By the time you get them into the ground and down beside the root ball. It's a three foot stake. It's a three or four foot stake. Yeah. So get an eight foot stake and then yeah. pound it in. But the crucial thing is here, uh, stakes are not a fashion statement, okay? No. So after one season, these stakes should go away. Otherwise, Lynn, what would happen? Well, what will happen is the wire that's holding the stake to the tree, as the tree grows, it will girdle the tree. It'll not leave entirely marks. true, though. Not entirely true. If this if this thing has been staked properly and using wire and hose, that hose should protect the tree from girdling, correct? Sure, but we're not talking actually at where the stake meets the tree. We're talking about where the wire meets the tree. Yeah, but shouldn't that wire be covered in It's not. Hose? No, it's usually you bring it around and you still got to tie it off. Eventually, that what will happen is that that wire will actually physically get pinched tight enough, Matthew, that it'll actually pull through the, the hose itself. So what my dad's talking about when it comes to girdling is you will see trees, and many thanks to my mom, because mom, you said that you had a picture. Yes, yes we do. Wonderful. That's, thank yeah. you. Yeah. When you go to put the stakes in, then it's a matter of what do you do to affix this tree to the stakes? And when I'm... Here's my dad and I having an on-air conversation using all kinds of jargon and stuff. When you go to attach the tree to these stakes, what you do is you use something called wire and hose. We actually 
legitimately, we we keep an old garden hose kicking around, one that's split or whatever. Still got one in the shed. Yeah, and we got a big one for you in the shed. Perfect. Thank you. And the reason why we keep it is you run, I don't know what, Dad, an eight-inch. Eight or ten inches eight long. Eight and ten-inch piece of this garden hose. You basically cut it and you run it through the wire. So basically the wire is going through this garden hose and that's where you wrap the garden hose around the tree where it's going to be staked. Okay, and this prevents the wire from digging into the tree. It's called girdling. It's called girdling. If you leave that wire on too long, you're basically strangling the tree. Sure. And Matthew, how much, let's say, how much bark could you girdle before you're going to have issues surrounding that tree? Talking about how much bark would have to be damaged, girdled, you know, severed, cut off from the rest of the, the trunk before it would be no longer... So will that sorry, where it would be a problem for that tree? How okay. much could the tree take? Are we taking are you talking inches? No, we're just saying, okay, percentage wise, how much? Twenty five percent? Twenty five to fifty percent and the tree would still do okay. But you remember in Beyond the, that though. Beyond that it becomes issues. In the past I know that if there was damage, we would actually take and we would um if it was a sizable enough wound, we would do bridge gap uh grafting, right? Okay. And we would put a bridge graft over it and we would run a piece of, of actual bark yeah and we would run it between across the joints just think of it as looking like teeth going around on that area that's damaged and to give you an example i had a we did a street tree job okay down in uh, mississauga area and we had just put in i think in the neighborhood of about five thousand trees okay (laughs) so anyways here we are we're just finishing up and i look back and here's a young kid i would say five six years old and he had a little uh what do you call it? Knife? Um, pocket knife? knife? Little pocket knife. And I guess he'd got it as a gift or something. Anyways, he was going around to each of the tree and he was testing out his knife and he was going around and oh. he put a score mark all the way around a tree. And then he moved down further and put another score mark all the way around oh. the tree. So he did about four or five before we finally got him stopped. And the parents just shrugged their shoulders and said, oh, well. But, you know, he probably just wiped out these trees at that time were about 150 to 175 bucks each. And he probably just totaled four trees, five trees. So it's really mad. It makes you really mad. Wow, mom. Another thing, if you have a dog, we had a dog for quite a few years, lovely, lovely dog. And we would chain her to our Manitoba maple in our yard. And as the tree grew, we didn't take the chain off and it girdled the tree. Now, that tree died. I think it was a combination of things. First of all, it was a Na- Manitoba maple. So, so they're it's garbage. What's Latin for that one, Lynn? Eastern Nagunda. Whoa! <laughs> so it, they, it kind of rotted from the inside, but uh, having the chain stuck in it didn't help. Well, Matthew, either. it grew like two inches into the tree. Okay, it's not healthy for it. No, but thank God. Because it, it had to, to come down anyway. Yeah. Yeah, Manitoba maples. Dad, there was somebody on one of these Facebook gardening groups talking about their neighbors were intentionally planting Manitoba maples. You sure? I'm telling you, the neighbors were, they, they planted five Manitoba maples. Well, they Five grow, of these things. They grow quick yeah, and they supply shade quickly. Like at our other house on the Gore Road, that big shady tree that you and Aaron played under, that was a Manitoba maple. Yeah, but they're weakly branched. They're weakly wooded. They don't, they get... Really, no they don't discernible live fall color. Yeah, they're they're super fast to grow, but they super fast to die as sure as well. Yeah, sure. Yeah. Okay. Is that is that that's all great, you? Matt? Perfect. Okay. On to rock salt. Okay. What do you want to know? Okay. So many of our audience, in fact, I just got off of a a job this past week, conceivably the last job of the landscape season for me. Did a bunch of rock work. A bunch of lovely armor stone went in. Uh, this is actually Sue's place. Sue's probably listening right now. And so we noticed on her property, Dad, she's got uh, some manner of horticultural wallstone or paver. And it's cracking. The caps are cracking. And I asked her, first question is, do you use rock salt on your walkways? And she goes, yeah. Well, that would do it. So number one thing, if you've got horticultural pavers, so horticultural concrete products like Stuff by Unilock, stuff by Techo Block, stuff by Permacon, any of these guys, and you have that down on your as your walkway or your front steps and such, do not use rock salt. Mom, why? 
it starts to break down the uh, the pavers and that. I know when we had our new walkway installed. Thank you, Matt. My, my pleasure. Uh, I remember you telling us, for sure, never use rock salt. We never have. We've always used, at first it was a big bag of stuff called Landscaper's Choice, and now it's something else, but it's not rock salt. Do you know what, Matt? Do you know how salt works, actually? No. So, Matt, basically what happens is, let's say when the salt is on the plants, and by the way, damage can occur after about 10 days, okay? So, really? Yes. Yeah, so it doesn't happen during the cold time because the plant is not active. But within about 10 days, it's definitely starting to suffer. But Matt, when salt water enters the soil, the plant tries to absorb it through the roots like it would normally do with water. Okay, you got it? Yeah. But the problem with salt solutions, it actually draws water out of the plant, dehydrating it, and then eventually killing it. But then the question being is if if this is then drawn through the roots, like when you see a dwarf Alberta spruce with salt damage, the salt it's burnt on the area that the salt hit. I would think not, that's not absorbing it through the roots. Though. I would it think is. that's it from is spray mostly. Too. That was actually contact there, probably. Okay. The cut, the, depending on how high they had their banks in the winter time and how yeah. much salt they were applying to their walkways or driveways. Right. But Matt, basically, what happens is that the application of salt dries out the plant to the point where it can actually cause root burn. You got it? Yeah. But the damage to the root system it prevents the roots from carrying nutrients and water come next spring. Here's a good question for you. Yes, sir. How long can salt remain in the soil come next spring? Three months. Six months to a year yeah. or longer. So, yeah, Matt. So, it, it, here's, a, here's the biggest problem, Matt. People will come along and they'll have damage from a, on their plants and they'll come along and they want to physically dig it out, right? Yeah. So they, re- they want to replace it because it's been badly, badly damaged from salt damage. But what they fail to realize is when they put the new plant back in the soil, the salt is still active unless it's been leached down past the bottom of the so, root system. So what do you do? Just water it in, water it in, water it in and try to get, it way, uh, get rid of as much as possible so that when you plant new plants, you're not going to run into problems. Yeah, th- listen, this is the bottom line. Honestly, you just shouldn't be using salt on your walkways. Not rock salt. No, not okay. rock salt. But Matt, the, the common signs of, say, salt damage, you would probably see that the one side facing the sidewalk or the road would start browning or blacking or get discolorations. If it was a, an evergreen of some kind, the needles would start beginning to brown off at the tips, that kind of way, typical stuff. And here's another thing, uh, bud damage of it would happen and eventually even death. But Matt, the thing is, it even affects the, the, the twigs, the stems. Everything will start shedding much quicker than it would normally. And really? it looks, and, and there's not nearly as much leaf growth or anything. And they call it, uh, what was it? Oh, what's the, the uh, when you see salt damage, witch's broom. It'll get the effect of witch's broom. You must have noticed trees beside yeah. roads and so forth. Yeah. You'll see how it, all the all this funky looking yep. branch growth right at the very tips. Yep. That's called witch's broom. And it's just that it's it's on its way out. And there's salt damage. In order for salt to become really active, especially on plants, it needs moisture. So huh. in order whether it draws the moisture, where do you think the moisture is coming from? from right. The- now, here's the question then, is that let's say you have a garden that is predominantly perennial based and most of these things die back during the winter anyway, you wouldn't have the salt sitting on leaves Really? No, no, it's not but affecting it them as much. It still be in, in the, the soil. soil. Right. Yeah. And Matt, there's always, we had mentioned in our previous landline that uh, calcium chloride is, is good to use, but magnesium chloride is even better yet. And they are, oh, the, the whole thing is you want it to be, uh, you want to have as great a chance possible for this plant to survive because plants are not cheap. Okay? Right. So you want to make sure, yes, mom? And these these calcium chloride and magnesium chloride, they're much more expensive than rock salt. But in the end, you're saving because rock salt not only damages plants, but if you're salting steps and then it can damage your steps. If they're, I I don't know about wooden steps, but interlock steps, masonry steps. Absolutely, one hundred percent. So, Matt, do you have any idea what rock salt is made out of? Salt. Oh, (laughs) mom, what do you got? Well, it comes out. Rock salt comes out of a body of water. And it can contain whatever's in that body of water. It's mostly sodium, it's mostly and chloride and calcium, magnesium, potassium, and sulfate. But these are the elements that are found in rock salt. But it, why, do they call the it, why do they call it a body of water? 
I have no idea. Who came up with that? Oh, I guess. Somebody walked along and they said it's a <laughs> body of water. It's not a puddle of water. <laughs> it's a body. It's a body See, of if it's water. a puddle, it's smaller. Yeah. If it's a body, it's bigger. But you know how salt works, Matthew, in the, uh, for the most part? Well, you, like you just said that, right? No, no, no. Not on the plant. Do you know how salt, salt physically works on your walkway? No. So, Matt, what happens is when you add salt to your walkway, the salt first absorbs, dissolves, and then it makes a film of liquid water on top, right? Yeah. And that will actually lower the point at which water freezes, okay? Yeah. So in the end, you, the salty water, as it melts, creates more liquid, which in turn has salt in it, which even melts even further. But it can. this is how salt works. So as the, the, the layer of water that is there has, has a lot of salt present, and it keeps the temperature from getting, lowers the temperature to the point of what it would normally freeze. Right. Okay. Now, my neighbor, God lover. But she puts so much salt on her driveway, like she still has salt on her driveway now from whatever that was it last Monday or Monday's snow. You see evidence of it still, It's eh? still, it's still hanging out. Right. So Matt, you know, for the most part, if you use rock salt, it's about a third of the price of your atypical salt, your uh, magnesium chloride or your sulfur. Uh, what was the other one? No. Calcium, calcium chloride. Calcium chloride, sorry. Yeah. But Matt, here's, here's where you're not saving any money. Next year comes along, and you've got all these plants dead. You've got your walks have been damaged. You've got your you've got damage to your driveway. Yeah. You've got all the lawn issues along each side of your driveway by the road. All this stuff. So next spring you're going to have to do some major work with what product, Matthew? On the other side, we will chat about that product. She's Lynn. He's Jack. I'm Matt. On the other side, that product. <laughs> <laughs> Back, Jack Lynn and Matt McFarland on the growing season, right here on News Talk, so like at 9:60 a.m. And we will reveal that product. This show is brought to you by Gypsum, not the Gypsum rock that is in your drywall. But I'm assuming it's probably the same idea. Basically, Matthew. But the whole thing is that Gypsum is basically a band-aid for your lawn. By the way, before hold on, before just hold that thought. GrowingSeasonCanada.com. Click on Show Bits. It's the visual accompaniment to the show. It will let you see exactly what gypsum looks like. And it looks like this because you're looking at it right now. Go for it, Dad. So anyways, Matt, what it will do is it will heal the lawn. It's good for the health of the lawn. How does it do this? Why? It has to do something with, uh, I would have to look it up again. Isn't it sulfur and calcium, I believe? Because Pat... Pat McFarland, your brother, my uncle from Best Cut, recommended this. I had never heard about this before. Yeah, I'm pretty sure it's sulfur and calcium, but you could check that for yeah, me. Yeah, go for it. But anyways, Matthew, the damage that occurs, it will help heal your lawn come next spring. So you put this on first thing. Forget the other fertilizers for the, at, at the beginning, but try the gypsum treatment and you'll be really shocked. But Matt, even another thing that it will help fix is damage from urine from your dogs. Really? Urine damage. So instead, you know, you'll still, you know, what you're going to do is it's going to change the pH slightly, but it will also help with the health of your lawn. And so that's very important going into next year. Okay, you ready to go? Sure. Let's do a bit of a, see who gets closest to the right answer. What is gypsum made out of, Dad? I said calcium and sulfur. Mom? Limestone. Okay. It's a mineral composed of calcium sulfate. Dad's dead on. Calcium, sulfur, and oxygen. With two molecules of water. So that is not too bad. You no, know, that's right. awesome. Okay. So the calcium sulfate. I wonder what it's is... It's plant th- health, Matthew. It is amazing for plant health. So you got to remember that. And you that. can just buy bags of this stuff? The gypsum? Yeah. Yo, sure. You go to either your Agrimart or one of the um, anything like that. The like co-op the farmer, or any of those. Yeah, any of those yeah. guys. And they would have it. And you would ask for it and they would say you want... Uh, something for your lawn. It's called gypsum, and they will give you bags of it. And it's not all that expensive. A lot cheaper than most fertilizers, Matthew. And so, okay, so what you're saying is as the spring thaw is happening, this is what you do. 
Yes. Is, is he After the snow get- has gone and the lawns are you know, doing their thing in the spring where they don't have much color going on or anything. But you will not believe the difference putting this on. And do you do this on your flower beds as well? You could do that if you're having issues. Put it on. So it Especially, looks like your whole property has been just, hit with baby powder? And a Band-Aid. Yeah, a major Band-Aid going on. But Matt, you know. Oh, we're just going to powder the grass. It's bomb. I wonder if it has a nice fragrance too. Oh, baby powder. Know. <laughs> you know what? I miss the smell of baby powder. Yeah, that and penitent cream. I got to say, I was working on a, uh, a client site, uh, Tyler McKenzie, and uh, he's recently had a baby. Well, not recently. His son is is one year old. And as I pull up to the job site, I can hear the little guy inside and someone's doing something that's that's making the baby giggle. There is nothing like the sound of a one-year-old laughing. Yeah. It's incredible. I'm sorry, man. I haven't seen you at one-year-old in a yeah, long time. In a long yeah. time. <laughs> yes, in 41 years, actually, to tell you the truth. Yeah. Yes, yes. And the word on the street is mom changed all of the diapers. Yes. This is true. I'm sorry. All yeah. of them. Yeah. yeah. Really? And you know what your dad bought you for your first Christmas? What? Was it a, a remote control racing car? Yes, that I had no I had no uh uh motor function to be able to operate this and yet I, there you are photographs. You had it. There are photographs of me, ladies and gentlemen, sitting in the middle of the room with this race car zooming around me. It was my it was a present for my dad. So you never guessed, Matthew. What? I have a question for you here. Yes. This is not to do with your, your bomb and baby powder or anything else going on. <laughs> okay. yeah. Matt, what is the purpose of a berm? God, nothing. That's why I never use them. They're stupid. You know what, Matt? I hate to disagree. I think they add visual interest to, say, flat now, areas. Do you hate? You just said that you hate Only because disagree. I feel so bad telling you this. Okay. All right. We never use them. Only because the you haven't used them because you haven't been on projects where I needed to use them. Why would you need to use them? Mom? Um, if, I'm thinking of a house on King Street West up here. And up here it, is where? Like Bolton, north of Bolton. So my parents live in the Bolton Calvin area. Okay, and this house, it's fairly close to the road, and they've put berms in front of it. It's to screen them from the road. It's to create privacy. Did they do a good job of doing it? No. No, it looks like grave plots the way they did it. Well, yeah, and it, don't – but put up trees that are able to screen. Yeah. Sure, but Matt, yeah. sometimes they have issues like with water, okay? And it's a great way to separate areas that have water issues. So you can divert water from one area to the next without using things like, things like French drains. And you know what, Matt? French drains are majorly ugly. But if you could do your berm properly, sometimes we would out, uh, outline them with rock, okay? Okay. Even sometimes we would use timber, okay, depending on where it was and what location and so forth. But, Matt, but how them, do you cut them? Ju- I didn't say there was any uh, sod or, or uh, grass. Lawns, grass of any kind in these ones. These ones actually were raised up. Okay, so it's like, a, it's like, a, raised, it's like a raised flower bed. Yeah, down on the lawn Okay, area. what I'm talking about is the, like, the, the grass berm. Yeah, the big grassy sure. hump. So the problem How is, do you cut it? The problem is, Matthew, most people, when they when they put berms in, if they're going to be putting lawn around the edges of it, they need to do a five-to-one ratio. Uh, as far on, as slope. As far as slope. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Dude, you like, we got science? Now we're doing, now we're doing volume and space. Okay. Explain no, what five-to-one. No, you to one. explain. Okay. So five-to-one means this, ladies and gentlemen. You would step back five increments, and in that space, one. you would go up one. All my dad's saying is that the height on these things should be one-fifth of the depth. Right. Right. And so the idea is, Matthew, that if you are putting trees and so forth on top of these berms or plant materials such as shrubs, you got to remember, these trees will grow. If you look at your boss place map down in the Bramalee area. Yeah. They chew they chose not choose. They chose <laughs> trees. They, they chew on berms. But they chose <laughs> <for> trees <laughs> that were very top heavy. They were using trees with very large root systems like maples, for instance. Yeah. Crimson Kings. Crimson no, Kings no to less. be exact. Yeah. Horrendous and they, trees. Sure they are. And and the the problem is Matthew, you've got to be aware that this tree is going to grow. Okay. It's going to get larger and larger, especially if they're big top Heavy trees, so you got to make sure that there's enough root system there, but that to support property, Dad, the crown. That property has everything on it. 
It does. It's got spruces that shouldn't be in the places. It's got, Dad, what else is on that property that you love? It's a monster mine. <laughs> <laughs> and you know what, Matt? Your Piscia pungens gloca are there. Yeah, the they're awful, too. Blue. They're but, completely but, awful. But, Matt, we, we would, from time to time, we would get calls about coming down and replacing trees over top of underground parking garages. Hold on. Replacing trees over top of... Un- okay, so you're, you'd have an, an underground parking facility, and on top of that, you'd have some manner of green space? Yes. Okay. So the idea was, Matt, they would come along and they had a plant... How do you drain? Just remember, there's drainage down above these, these roofs onto these underground parking garages, okay? But not all, because water will sit there on the concrete. Now, here was the biggest problem, Matthew. When they put these trees in, they never took into consideration how big the root systems were going to grow and how deep they were going to go into the ground and so forth. So they thought they could adjust this by putting in berms, okay? And they would put berms all over the place. But the, the trees would eventually go down to where the water was. So the roots would go down so to the water. On, they would wait, install a berm. Yes. Plant the tree in the berm. In the berm. Okay. And they thought they were covering it. Okay. Right. But what would happen is eventually the, the roots of the tree would get down to the top of the underground parking garage with all the water sitting there. And they would physically drown, okay? Yeah, because the concrete doesn't drain. Doesn't drain at all. At all. So anyways, we would go in periodically. I remember going down, it was in the... So what do you do? You have to replace the trees. But what? Was, yes. The trees would die roughly every 10 or 15 years. Oh and they my have, gosh. Stupid, stupid, stupid. But how could they get around this? Mom knows. Go, Mom. I think, I, I shouldn't say I know so confidently, plant ornamental trees. Go with right. your Schubert cherries. Ivory silk. Ser- yeah, service uh, berry, ornamental pear. Yeah. All sorbus. Don't ever go with ornamental pear, actually. Sorbus. Even your amelanthia, Matt, your, yeah. your downy service berry. Put yeah. something in that does not have a deep root system. Right. And problem solved. Quit putting in the stupid oaks and the stupid maples because they're going to yeah, drown. Yeah, and you're saying, and, and Colorado's, right? And any But of we've talked about how the Colorado is the go-to. This is the one that everybody, sorry, audience, Colorado blue spruce. Okay, this is the one that everybody wants. They want the blue-looking tree, and the things are drowning. But Matthew, wait a second. Colorado blue spruces have actually a shallow root system, so they would never get down to the top of the underground parking garage. But you understand my point here. I get your point. But we keep going on about root systems and knowing, knowing what's going on under the ground. We should know about what trees are doing. And therefore, the Colorado blue spruce is not one of these trees that is going to be affected by the underground parking garage. Coming from a person that has spent, I spent many years, many summers on in professional grade lawn machines, cutting properties. When you get to a berm, let me tell you, nine times out of 10, you got to put the machine into park and trim the thing. Trim the burn because you're never getting that machine on that burn properly. You're always scalping it out. It's they're horrendous. Don't do it. Just don't use them. I agree. But Matt, it's not us doing. I I didn't I design the berms over these over these underground parking garages, but and it, I didn't plant those trees. But if you're using the berms, like if you're talking about you're making it into like a rock garden, you're you're making it that it's a completely different thing. Sure. But if it's a if it's a grass berm. This is going to be a nightmare for you to cut. They're horrendously bad to cut. Well, because also the trees and plants grow. So unless you leave a big flat area on the top of the berm, it's going to create problems big time in the future. I agree. But Matt, let's touch uh, a few things on some of the uh, plants that are a big pain in the butt if you plant them anywhere near, let's say, water features. Okay, so we're about to begin to list plants that we advise you to not use and implement in your horticultural space, okay? In your landscape space. Now, the one of the things to be remembering here is that we are not saying that we do not recommend planting these things because we dislike them. We are saying we do not recommend planting these things because they're going to lead to trouble down the road. Sure. Yes. And Matt, the idea is that, okay, let's pick um, Gladitzia triacanthus, which yes. is the locust. Okay. The locust. Skyline, yes. probably. Sounds, well, what a great name. This is named after a grasshopper that gets a serotonin kick and then goes on and starts to ravage everything. Great job naming people. That's right, Matt. Yeah. Yeah. But Matt, if you remember, they used to call the, uh, the locust a lazy man's tree. Yes. Remember that? Yep. So it was the last one out 
in first the one spring to drop. and the first one to drop. Yep. But if you look at it, it's got a compound palmate leaf with lots of little leaflets. Yeah. So when it falls onto the ground, all those little leaflets come off and they're everywhere. everywhere. Okay, case in point. I'm on a job in Bramalee and there's one flower bed. I can't even see the bottom of the flower bed for all the locust little leaflets all over it. It is. It was packed. Jack, full. what else does the locust make? Uh, I don't know. Those big pod things. That's not locust. That, oh, that's, no, I'm sorry. That's Robinia pseudoacacia. Okay, I'm that sorry. Is black, I made a mistake. Black locust. Yes. not even the same locust. family. But it, now, hold on. It is called locust. I mean, she, but you don't it's really... not even the same oh, no, family. No, no, no. Yes, but, but they I make those something. big, those ones are awful. And those suckers have thorns, too. They do. Gross. But, yeah. But in many ways, Matt, what, what the biggest problem with the locust is, because it's one of the first to shed, right? Yep. So most people don't have their water features or their pools, pools or anything closed. Hot tubs, any of those things. So they're just falling all the time down into all of, all of these water issues that you have or water features When's that you have. When's the last time you, you spec the locust on a customer's property? Well, I haven't used a locust in 25 years. I've never planted one. I've fixed a locust that got hit by a big tractor trailer going down the, the hill here by our home, right? Yeah. And it was knocked down by a tractor trailer and I came in and I did my tree surgery work on it, and I ended yeah. up making the thing live, and it did just fine, okay? Yeah. But Matt, another one that's really bad is pinus strobus. Explain. Yes. Okay. Bad in that it sheds like an absolute beast, but it's a lovely tree. Like, it's if you've got the situation... Soft needle, takes, right? It's a soft needle. So we're talking about a white pine. It's a three-needle pine? It's a provincial tree. I think tree. it's a five-needle, Is it a five-needle? I think so. I have to look I'll it check up. it up. But for our audience, we're talking about white pine. Now, you've seen this thing at Christmas. This is a very classic Christmas tree. And the issue being is that because the needle is segmented so much, there's, there's less needle per little segment, and they just drop like crazy. All the time. It's, it's raining needles. It's, it's a complete changeout every two years. Right, so yeah, but up... isn't that the average? That's that's basically sure. across the board. But these but things, these seem things, shed it's got to be every year. Time. Our brand new patio this fall was just covered with needles from the neighbor's white pine. That's right. You're right. Yes. Yeah. So messy, Matthew. And you know what? In the past, we've used them, and we've learned from our mistakes. Okay. Yes. Because I remember we did a pool job there back in mid 2000s, right? And it, we had a lot of white pine that went in and around the pool area. Yeah. And would I ever do that to anybody again? Never. No. Agreed. Agreed. Why do we why do we plant white pine? Because a lot of times people don't like the the sharpness of the actual uh, pine needles themselves. So they ask for a soft needle pine, so we the best choice out there was pinestrobus or white pine. Right. But Matt, have you ever have you ever planted any devil's walking stick? Never in my life. Have you ever dealt with any devil's walking yes, stick? Yes, I was on site. Now, you're going to tell a story about devil's walking stick. We're going to keep it clean though. So, Matt, we were doing a job over in the, again, it was off, of, where was that again, uh, Cavendish? Uh, no, this was off of, uh, this was Gore Road. Gore Road. Yeah. So, anyways, we had uh, been asked to uh, move these, um, I think here, Aurelia Spinosa, I believe, we, and they were, what, Hercules Club, right? Yeah. But, Matt, these suckers have sharp spines like you wouldn't believe. So, I was asked to move about five of them to somewhere else that wasn't near the pool. And the th- problem is, Matt... Who in their right mind would ever put this near a pool? Now, why? Because the thorns are so bad. If That's somebody was it. swimming and they don't have many clothes on when you're swimming, and you can, get, you can get these thorns to actually really break the skin. And speaking of that, I was out moving these things for the, the owner, and I won't mention her name, and I moved them elsewhere. And I had thought I had protected them enough that it wouldn't hurt me. And so anyways, I was out, and I had moved them, and I had dug them in, and I... Fell down in my front of my pants were all wet. And I couldn't figure out what's going on here. Why are my pants wet? <laughs> and so I said, peed his pants. I didn't think I peed my pants. So I kind of, you know, I stuck my hand in my pants and pulled it out. And it was blood. Yeah. And what had happened was one of these thorns had pricked me. <laughs> in a part of, in your a part body of my that... body that your mom does not have. Yes. Yeah. And needless to say, I had, I had blood a lot. By the way. White pine is five needle pine. It's a five needle. I was very good. I, I was correct. Yeah, that's my boy. They're there lovely trees. It's just they're lovely in certain in certain areas. Their shed is annoying. Okay, back to back to bleeding junk. Sorry, go go ahead. <laughs> <laughs> 
So anyway, okay. Matt. Now, ladies and gentlemen, listen. Honestly, to tell you the truth, I was on I was on site to see this. Like, I my my dad's crotch region was <laughs> completely soaked, soaked with blood. Yes, and soaked. I remember, I am on blood thinners. Okay, so I bleed a lot more than most people would bleed. Yeah, but the fact of the matter is, when you're looking at a thorn that is roughly four inches long, three four inches. These long, things are weapons. They are, and. Who? Why would anybody ever put this? I have no idea. It wasn't myself personally. I moved them, and that was probably. Where do we move them to? We to moved the them garbage? outside the fence area, out of the way. Did they, now, did they live through transplant? They did fine. They don't seem to care at all. <laughs> they don't seem to mind. <laughs> they did fine. Yes, they they lived on to <laughs> poke somebody else's <laughs> area. Well, uh, speaking speaking of something that's a non-thorn, what am I not, what am I looking at, Matt? That mm. is also a problem around pool areas. Non-thorn problem around pool areas. It has something, but it's not a thorn. Mom, any idea? Rose. What are they? What kind of uh, thorns uh, did it prickles. have? Prickles. They're prickles. They're called prickles. prickles. Yeah. yeah. And Matt, same idea. Yep. You don't want to put them anywhere near pools. Yep. Areas that, you know, exits and entrances. Front entrances. Around your decks and patios. Absolutely. And you just don't, any heavy traffic area you want to be really careful with because, yep. and another thing is you don't want the little ones to be afraid of the garden because yep. they come in contact with the prickles on your rose. They look absolutely beautiful, roses. But honestly, let's be serious and I'm going to make a broad sweeping statement here. They're not geared for our climate. No. Well, no. I, uh, you know what? Ones? The rugosas are, the shrub roses are, but let's be serious. The tea roses, the hybrid teas, the, the, the explorers, these guys, they're just, you get anything outside of a normal winter and these things take a crap kicking. And whatever else you you think of, Matt, you still got to winter protect these, whether yeah, it's mulch or I, burying them with dirt and so forth. If you're and gonna, they involve a lot of pruning. If you're going to put a rose in, to tell you the truth, if you're living in 5B, Southern Ontario... Put a rugosa in. I agree. I agree. But Matt, um, for azaleas and rhododendrons. Don't bother. Uh, well, you know, a lot of people in Toronto area and Mississauga and so forth, they like them. But it isn't that, that isn't the issue. No, no. The but, issue is the, is the acidic requirements for these Sure. Things. And do you know, have any idea off the top of your head what the acidic requirements are? Is it are? Uh, 3.5 to 5.5? 4.5 to 5.5. Okay. But the idea is, Matt, uh, do you know the difference between a rhododendron or an azalea? Well, a rhododendron would be one that I would never take out of the pot. <laughs> and azalea would also be one that I would never take out of the pot. So there isn't much difference. No. Mom, what do you got? A rhododendron has a bigger flower on it. Okay. And azalea. Wait a minute. One more. What else? Come a on. rhododendron's always evergreen. It's, by the way. It's, always it's evergreen. It's rhododendron. Rhoda, rhododendron. Yeah. Okay. And it's an evergreen. It's yes. an evergreen. And what about an yep. azalea? Some can be evergreen. Some are not. Excellent. All of them should be left at the nursery. I agree. Oh, I, I honestly, Matt, and the problem is if you get a wet spring, the yeah, blooms just, will mold and, and you got to prune the things after they flower right listen, away. Listen, 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 audience member. Look, listen, I know, and I'm probably offending some people with my, with my hot takes on all these plants that you shouldn't plant. We have tried and tried and tried and tried rhododendrons. Now, could it be that the areas that we are predominantly working in, in the 5B area, in the in and around Caledon. Maybe that's just not the climate for these things. We have tried everything. We have tried the lights, so all the deciduous stuff. I like the lights. Okay, we have we have tried the evergreen rotos. They just do not seem to do well in a 5B situation. If you're in a 6, much better. But you still got to have an acidic soil for this stuff. And another thing is most people do the same thing wrong every time. They do not take full shade. Okay, they yeah. can take part shade, but they prefer sun. And rule of thumb is, Matthew. If it blooms like nuts, if it gets a big fancy flower, it wants sun. Sure. Anything with blooms, nuts or berries needs sunlight. Yeah. But Matt, you know, these things, if they are functioning properly, which I hope they are, they'll bloom about three weeks. Okay. Great. Sure. And Matt, honestly. <laughs> Fantastic. If you want to <laughs> keep. Some. If you want to keep them alive, you need something like a. 1086 fertilizer uh, for azalea, camellia, and um, rhododendron. It's plant an food. outdoor or orchid. It's it, a lot it, of work. It is. And it's you got to make work. sure that it gets enough moisture and you got to be careful that it doesn't get mite issues. And it can even get, uh, you know, if you put, if it's too high in acid, Matt, it will call, cause something called 
iron scler- uh, sclerosis, okay, which is yellowing of the leaves. Great. So in, in the end, Matt, this sclerosis can lead to death. And I'm, well, I'm they a, all die anyway. Oh, I know, I know. In, in your case, you think they all die. <laughs> but Matt, you know what? They're, they're not bad for zone hardiness. They go forth through AIDS. So. It's, which is a lie because we've tried planting these things over and over and over again in 5B and they just will not do it. But Matthew, if you were going to plant them and you wanted to pick some varieties that people should try that were going to make it through the winter and survive and give you something looking, you know, nice to pretty and look at next year. What would you choose? All right. Okay. So as far as varieties of plants that you're not really supposed to be planting that we don't <laughs> recommend planting, here we go for rotos and such, right? You've got Elvira, which is red, Blue Peter, which is, wait for it, purple. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Bowbells, Windsong. The hardiest varieties are the Rose Shell Azalea. It takes temperatures of minus 25 Fahrenheit, which is, which is the minus 32 What is that, Prenophyllum or something, Matthew? Very hardy. Yes. Okay. Great. The bottom line is we've never had anything, any kind of luck with these things. So is it harmful to animals or Dogs. Us? Yeah, very harmful. Yeah, to yeah. Do- any part of it, Matt, is very harmful to your dog and, and so forth. It will cause things like, again, uh, weakness. <laughs> Discoordination, heart issues, and eventually death. But they would have to eat a lot of this, okay? Wonderful. And that's a great place to press pause. In reality, the growing season is just about heart issues, death, diarrhea, anything. It's always that. (laughs) It's always, it's it's never good. No, it's not, Matt. I'm sorry. It's just the way it is. GrowingSeasonCanada.com is the website. Click on Show Bits. It's the visual accompaniment to the show. I will embed the podcast directly after this airs. Also, too, if you're looking for a landscape console or design for next spring, getting it done over the winter is a wonderful option. GrowingSeasonCanada.com, click on TGS Tiny Gardens or contact, sends you directly to me. So this is how we do things on the show here, ladies and gents. For those chiming in for the first time, I say that I, I give a joke, our weekly horticultural-based joke, and then, I, and then I throw to mom, and then mom throws to dad. This is how this goes. Check it out. Two plants are standing next to each other, One of them says, what did you have for lunch? The other plant says, oh, just a light meal. (laughs) (laughs) Nice handwriting, Mom. Mom, go for it. Till next time, have a good one, and please be safe. Jack out. If you miss any part of our show today or any of our earlier broadcasts, don't panic. Just log on to our website at www.saga960am.ca backslash podcasts and look for and stream our podcasts of this show and any of our other great programs.